Father, thank you for sending Jesus into our world. His arrival with us gives us hope, allows us to know what true love is, creates the grounding for a life of joy and peace and eternal life. I pray that the glory of Christ will be known this Christmas and celebrated in our hearts and throughout Erie and the Front Range and around the world that because Christ has come, everything is different. We worship you today and pray that you will come and speak to our hearts from the truth of your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. My name is Tom Shirk. I'm on staff at Calvary, normally in the Boulder campus. And uh, I'm happy to be here. My, um, my friend Thomas Milburn is not here today. He's in Boulder. So we trade places occasionally. And it uh, gives me a chance to see former tenders who used to be in Boulder and, uh, and forget your name too. Anyway, um, I love being here and love seeing you. I'm glad that you're with us today. We celebrate Advent, the appearing of Jesus in the world. And the Advent of Jesus into the world um, makes certain things possible. His coming creates real spiritual realities that could not be possible apart from his arrival in the world. And today... We're going to talk about joy. Yeah. Who doesn't need more joy? But you only can have joy as it's related to Jesus. And I understand that when we talk about joy, uh, it's possible that you might have ideas about joy that the Bible doesn't have about joy. I was standing in Mackey Auditorium last Saturday afternoon at the CU Christmas concert with 2,000 people in Mackey. It was the second time I've been in Mackey this year. Um, singing with many of you in June, but last week with residents of Boulder. And I was standing there in that grand auditorium with an orchestra, listening to residents in the city of Boulder and the Front Range say the words, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. And I was just struck with this sense that Boulder saying the words of the reality of the Advent series that joy is possible because Jesus came into the world. And I love Christmas. It's filled with all kinds of joyous images. Uh, even Hollywood has taken over and you know, made all of these wonderful movies that tell the greatest story of the arrival of Christ. And Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year and it's filled with all of these characters who have great joy like these three. <laughs> oh, don't you love Christmas? Reminds me of some Christians I've known over the years. <clears throat> and uh, so, so is, is, is uh, Christmas season joy or not? The reality is, is that Christmas has a lot of pain for many people. I get to read the prayer requests week after week at Calvary 
from both of our campuses that are submitted for praying, and we do pray for whatever you write on that red card. We pray for it regularly throughout the week, but I was reading them recently. Pray for our daughter who's suffering and far from God. Pray for a family in a time of turmoil, trouble. Pray for my brother who has suicidal thoughts. Pray for an end to our homelessness. Pray for me, I'm feeling hopeless. Pray for strength in my grief and sadness. Pray for strained relationships with my parents. I don't want to be alone anymore. And pray for me because of my difficulty with this upcoming holiday season. Oh, joy to the world. I read those and I know what you know is that life is mingled with sadness and difficulty and often in the holiday season when we would want our expectations to have the greatest time of the year, it doesn't seem to work out that way. And it's weighted. And if I say to you, one of the realities of the Advent season is the joy candle, it's confusing. I want to talk to you about joy. Because I think joy is possible, but we first have to know what joy is not, and then what joy is, and then where joy is grounded and how joy is practiced. That's what I want to talk with you about this morning. So first of all, what joy is not? Joy is not humor. It's not the same as laughing at something that's funny. The Bible talks about a merry heart as being good medicine, and I like to laugh. Do you? A lot of people don't like to laugh at church. Uh, actually, Thomas Milburn's a pretty funny person. I like Thomas. Uh, he's much funnier than I. And actually, when I grew up learning how to preach, or trying to learn how to preach, um, I had a hero who said, you never use humor when you preach. Um, I've transgressed that, or at least I've tried to purposely. Um, and then I have another hero in Texas by the name of Chuck Swindoll who loves to laugh, and I love to listen to him laugh. And it helps me get in a position to learn when laughter. I like to laugh. But humor is not joy. Happiness is not joy either. Joy is different than happiness. Happiness is, comes from a Danish word hap, H-A-P-P-E, hap. And it simply means happenings. We have the word happenings. And being happy is usually tied to your happenings. And if your happenings are good, you're happy, great. But happiness is not joy. In fact, we use the word hap in a number of different words in English that create the... Um, vulnerability of happiness, the uncertainty of it. We actually say, well, perhaps something's going to happen and it's uncertain. Or we have a mishap and it's a bad thing. Or something is hap 
hazard. And hap is tied to the uncertainty and the fluctuating nature of happenings. But if your happenings are good, you're happy. And if you're not happy, your haps aren't good. You're not happy. Joy is not happiness. It's not humor. It's not happiness. And since we're in Colorado, I will tell you that it is also not being high. And a lot of people in Colorado want to be high now. And they alter physiologically their mind and sphere of reference with substance, whether it's pot or whatever. But being high is not joyful. Because on the other side of any um, influx of substance that creates euphoria is a landing, which is anything but joy. So it's not humor, it's not happening, and it's, uh, uh, it's not being high. Joyous, and the sense of joy has to be rooted in something that's bigger than yourself because we all know what it is to go through fluctuating emotions and a variety of life experiences and they come into sharp focus at Christmas time. So we should just take a moment and say, well, what really is happiness? Uh, a man by the name of Creeth Davis has written a little article in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology to describe what joy is. And he just writes, from a psychological perspective, one cannot experience joy while being preoccupied with one's own security, pleasure, or self-interest. Freedom from inhibitions comes when one is caught up in something great enough to give meaning and purpose to all of life and to every relationship. God alone is the only adequate center for human existence. And he alone can enable us to experience life with joyous spontaneity and relate to others with love. What he's suggesting is in order to have joy, you have to have a grounding in your life beyond yourself and your pleasures and your happiness and whatever's going on in your circumstances. Joy has to be rooted in something's big enough to occupy the ups and downs of your life so that you could actually go through a difficult experience and be unhappy but have joy. I think that's possible because I think joy is not related to circumstances, it's not related to what's going on or actually even how you're feeling up and down. Joy is a deep-rooted sense of well-being in the soul. So let me describe what it is. It's not those three things, but it is an inner sense of with God. It's a sense of being at rest on the inner part of your life, not tied to your circumstances or fluctuating emotions. It's actually rooted in, in the, the sense that God is in my life. God is present with me. I'm okay with him. I'm right with him. I'm at peace with him. I'm being nurtured and protected by him in my life. And between me and the Lord, I'm right. That's the foundation for where true joy comes, knowing that you are loved by God. Do you know you are? Okay, we're in church, so everybody would say, does God love me? Yeah, John 3, 16. That was last week. 
I'm loved by God. But do you know you really are loved by God? And that's the point of Christmas. And it's the foundation for what really is joy. You need a big center in your life for that to happen. So we look in the Bible for clues about what joy is. And I go to Psalm 16, which is a very familiar passage uh, that we're going to look at it later in more detail. But the conclusion of Psalm 16 goes like this. You make known to me the path of life, and everybody, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Where is the center for David of true joy? It's in the presence of God. That is, when I'm right with God, when I have this sense that God is in my life, when I have a sense in me that I'm, I'm with God, joy. Now, you have to think a little bit about David's life. Did David have a wonderfully uh, perfect life in every way? And David had a lot of trouble in his life. He, he sinned greatly in his life. He committed adultery and then murdered the husband of the woman he committed adultery with. And the child that was born to her died. And then his family was in all kinds of trouble. His son tried to kill him. Uh, Saul, the king of Israel, wanted to kill him. And this is the man who said, oh, Lord... You make known to me the path of life in your presence. There's fullness of joy. So I just want you to hear what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying that joy is, everything's great and we put on a plastic face. You can say, my life feels like a wreck. But I sense God's presence in my life. And I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying with him. Have any of you ever experienced that? Because you might need to raise your hand for those who are in the room who can't believe that's possible. Now you sing. Okay, good, cool. You sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. You have a my life stinks. You have to understand that joy is not happenings. It's like an inner sense of being at rest in the Lord, that joy is what God gives by his presence in our life, and joy is a gift. Galatians chapter 5, verse 23 says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, everybody, joy, peace, patience, kindness, it comes from God who dwells in us by the Holy Spirit so that when God's in your life, these things are his gift to you. And I might just say this, if, before I, if I lose you in the sermon, I want you to know you cannot have joy without Jesus. You can have happiness. You can get high. You can laugh. But without Jesus, you can't have joy. I'm right with God. That's why he came into the world in the first advent. That, that's the why Jesus entered into the world. So I want to take you now to your Bible. Open, please, to Luke chapter 1. And I want to show you where joy is grounded in the Bible, particularly in the Christmas story. So, Luke chapter 1 
you know that the angel of the Lord came to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to have a child. He, you're going to bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. It's to Joseph. And Mary said, how will these things be? I'm a virgin. I can't have a baby. I've never had relations with anyone. And God, through the angel, said, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to conceive in your womb by the power of God, and that which is born of you is going to be called the Son of God. You're going to have a baby that is God in you. God with us, Emmanuel. And Mary just said, well, I don't know how it's going to happen, but let it be done to me according to everything that you said. And then she writes a song. And the song begins in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And she begins there, and Mary said, should we read it together? My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in... Okay, now read it again this way. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices, there's joy, in God my Savior. You see, the grounding for joy is in the saving work of God. When you are saved, you have the possibility of joy. And apart from the saving work of God, you can't have joy. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord because I have God my Savior. And then you go to chapter 2, and sure enough, this whole theme comes up again. And you see in chapter 2, verse 8, it says, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the flock by night, keeping watch over their flock. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And then verse 10, which is our key verse for today, for joy, says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. Oh, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the grounding for joy. The angel announces not advice to them, but news to them. I have good news for you, and it's going to lead to great joy for, and that explains what the great joy is going to come from, for unto you is born this day in the city of David A savior. Because you can't have joy without knowing that your sins are forgiven. But when you know your sins are forgiven and you can stand before God and you can say, I know you loved me enough to send your son to be my savior and he paid it all and I'm forgiven. Yeah. Come on. Oh, really? Wait a minute. Now, let me see. When you say, I used to be lost, but now I'm found because Jesus saved me. I used to be blind, but now I can see because Jesus saved me. I used to be dead in my sins and my transgressions, and then Jesus came into my life and he forgave me, and now I'm alive unto God. I used to not be a part of God's family, and I was separated and an enemy 
in my sins, but then Jesus saved me, and when he saved me, I became a part of his family, adopted as a child of God. I'm a son or I'm a daughter of God, and I belong to him. I used to be a stranger, and now I'm family. I used to be an enemy, and now I'm called a son or daughter. I used to be outside, and now I'm his. And the only reason that happened is because Jesus came into the world to be a savior to forgive me of my sins, and I really believe my sins are forgiven. We're getting closer, we're getting closer. Okay, that is the foundation for joy. And the problem is, Something happens over time where we believe our salvation is an entitlement to us and we think that we're good enough that God would want to save us because we're special. And we forget that the reason we need to be saved is because we were rebels lost and separated from God and we, we were not his because we were going our own way and then he saved us and he turned our heart and he put his Holy Spirit within us and now we belong to him and we really are children of God and the love of God is ours. It has not appeared what we shall be, but we know that when we see him, we shall be like him. How great a love the Father has given to us that we're his children. That's joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive his king. Uh, that's what God did for us. He saved us. The salvation of God is the grounding for great joy. And so I just hope that when you think about yourself, that you can go back to say, oh yeah, I really was far from God and he saved me. In fact, you may be here today and you might say of yourself, there's no way God could save me because I'm too far from him. I remember being at a, at a Christmas Eve service about four years ago and one of my good friends who loves Jesus brought his son who does not know Jesus into church at the Christmas Eve service. He stood for about five minutes singing, uh, listening to the congregation sing, and he bolted out of the church. His father told me later that when he caught up with him, that young man said, I do not belong in there with those happy people. And we just wanted to say, it is because what we're singing about is what you need, that you need to be in here. He felt unworthy. But one thing I love about that is like, okay, that's a broken man who needs to simply say, Jesus loves me in my brokenness. And frankly, coming to Jesus is not about being good enough that Jesus would love you. It's acknowledging that you're not good enough, that you need him to be your savior, and know that he just forgives you and removes your sin, and it's a work of his grace. I mean, Jesus, when he came, brought Christianity, which is not advice to help us to know how to improve our life. It's news of what he already did on the cross for us. I bring you good tidings of great joy, news. It's done, he did it, you're forgiven by faith in Christ alone. Hallelujah, that's the joy. Now this theme about salvation being the foundation of joy is all through the Bible. You go to the New Testament, 
Because maybe you're still saying, yeah, but my life is such a wreck right now. I have so many trials and tribulations. The Bible acknowledges that. The Bible knows that we're all going to have ups and downs and we're going to fluctuate and our emotions are going to go crazy sometimes and we're going to be sad and we're going to have sorrow. I mean, I, I know my mom died about a month ago. I went through a period in my own soul of being rejoicing that she's with Jesus and sorrowful that that part of my life is over. Death does that. It is a sting. It is an enemy. We taste that. We feel that. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter's talking about our salvation. This is the way he begins. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When you come to Jesus, it's like you were dead and you become born again, alive. And when that happens in you by faith, you receive an inheritance which you don't have yet, but it's waiting for you. And he describes your coming salvation in four words. It's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept for you. Which means that if you have Jesus as the one who has forgiven your sins, you have a coming eternal life that is never going to fade away. It's never going to perish. It's never in any way going to become corrupt. And God is keeping it for you because Jesus paid it all. And it's waiting for you in heaven, and you're being kept by the power of God for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You're saved. You're going to make it there if you're in Jesus. Next verse. In this you have joy that God saved you. Even though now, if necessary, you're grieved by various trials knowing that the testing of your faith is going to produce joy and, and be found to result in praise and glory. You, the Bible's honest. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're not going to go through difficult times. But you rejoice. The difficult times can't separate you. What can separate you from the love of God? Answer? Nothing. Nothing. That's how, when the happenings aren't good, you can still have a sense of, oh, I'm right with God. He loves me. He's holding me. He's nurturing me. I belong to him. I can't get separated from him, no matter what happens. And then the last verse in this section, verses 8 and 9, Peter says this. Though you have not seen him, everybody, you love him. You haven't seen Jesus yet. Oh, you read about him. You believe in him, you visualize him, but we've never seen Jesus in the flesh. And even if you haven't seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith, salvation of your souls. Okay, that, that's the in-between. I can't see him yet, but I know it's coming. That's the grounding of salvation. Are there any questions? Okay, the Bible talks about joy in one more way, as a command. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Be joyful. No, seriously. I want you to be joyful. So here's how the Bible puts it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 
Philippians 4, rejoice always, like rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. And then Philippians chapter 4, rejoice, next three words, in the Lord. Like you might have circumstances that I don't really rejoice in my job right now, but I rejoice in the Lord. He's in my life. And he helps me get through my job. Or my family's in trouble. But I rejoice in the Lord. Why? He saved me. I was lost, now I'm found. He, he's in my life. This is funny. To have a command to have joy. So you know it's not be happy. It's like be at peace that God is in your life no matter what's going on and have a moment. Thank you, God, that you're in my life. Now, there's a lot that we could do, um, and I think I still have a couple more minutes to do it in, but let me just double check. Yep, I do. Sorry for you. I have five more minutes. I want to take you back in your mind to Psalm 16, where David makes the summary at the end of Psalm 16 with this verse. You make known to me the pathway of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there's pleasures forevermore. That was the summary. So when I read that in the Bible, what, what helps me is to sort of backtrack this audacious statement that the fullness of joy that can be known in the human experience is somehow connected to Jesus. I read backwards in Psalm 16, and I start looking for clues. Well, how does that happen? And I saw five, I'm only going to share three, clues from Psalm 16 that tell us how David practiced this. So first, verses 2 and 3. In verse 2 and 3, David practiced something, and he said this, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. Now we would stop there for a moment. Think of what that is. David saying, you're my only good. He was king. He was rich. He was wealthy. Had a lot. But what he said of all the stuff, I have nothing but you. I have nothing but you. <laughs> this, is, this is life in America. I have nothing but you. Right here. Yeah, what? <laughs> It's an iPhone. I could live without an iPhone. I can't live without Jesus. Could you take your stuff and say, ah, I have no good besides you. Now I got all this stuff. What if that was all stripped away? What would it profit you if you gained the whole world but you lost your soul? That's the point. David says, I have no good besides you. And as for the saints in the land, they're all my delight. There's another little clue here. That joy is expressed and experienced in relationships. And he simply says, the saints, the, the ones who are similarly committed to loving God, to saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. To saying of of." God's saving grace, people who love God most 
are the ones who experience corporately that kind of joy. Joy is intended to be shared, not just huddled up in my own little private world. It's like I'm with other people who also experience that. And I think what David is saying is that relationships matter when you're trying to experience joy. You need to have friendships. You need to be in a base camp group. You need to go to a life group. We say to you, take another step closer and get involved a bit here because that's where joy will be experienced. Secondly, um, I think there's a clue in verses five and six where David said, the Lord is my portion and my cup. You uphold my lot, what comes to me, and the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. This is metaphorical language where David is saying, it's as if I had a, an inheritance and the lines that went out to show the boundaries of the piece of land that I inherit were good. That's what he's talking about. I got an, I got an inheritance and I got this piece of property and these are the, the boundary lines for that piece of property. And yeah, the, the, what's, what's fallen to me is good. Metaphorically, what he's saying is what happened in my life has been good. It's, it's been pleasant. Everything that's happened to me has been pleasant. What? Your son tried to kill you. Yeah. God was with me. Saul was going to put you through with a spear. Yeah. But God protected me. I was in his hand. I'm content. Contentment is a really big deal for joy. I'd say you can't have joy without contentment. And one of the reasons why you don't have joy, especially Christmas, is because we're all bombarded with what else we need to make our life better. You really don't. I mean, you could do without, right? Me too. I, I say you. I mean, we don't need all that we have if we have Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. And we have to tell ourselves that. Finally, another little clue about how joy happens. Verses eight and nine, he simply said, I, I set the Lord always before me. And because he's at my right hand, right here while I'm moving around, I, um, I'm not shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My spirit rejoices, and my flesh dwells securely. Why? Because I just think of my life as Jesus is with me. Jesus before me, Jesus behind me, Jesus beside me, Jesus above me, Jesus beneath me. My life wrapped in him. I belong to him. I'm a child of God. He saved me. He didn't save me and say, well, good luck, I hope you get here. He said, I saved you because I love you. And when I forgive your sins, I put my nature in you and I give you my Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's joy. It's like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now when you sing joy to the world, like, do you really get, oh, the Savior has come. We can be right with God. Our sins can be forgiven. And we can be at rest no matter what happens in the ups and downs of life. I'm like, oh, God, I'm so thankful you're with me. You've forgiven me. 
I belong to you. I say to you, the joy of God be on you. Let's pray together. Father, I give thanks to you that in your mercy, Jesus came. He came into the world to be a savior, to forgive us and live in us and with the abiding presence of God give to us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and hope. And I pray for anyone whose life has not been happy lately, who's on the verge of giving up. I pray that the beautiful promise of I give you good news, it's a great joy. A Savior's been born would lead all of us to simply say, Lord, save us. Live in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.